0: you may be seated. Why don't we take a moment to pray and then we'll enter into our preaching time together. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. And God, as we sing these songs this morning, I believe that there are things in front of us that feel insurmountable. Things that feel like they're impassable. Moments in life where, Lord Jesus, we feel like we're being overcome, but we know and we have confidence as we sing and as we declare these truths that, God, you're a God who loves to breathe in and use these moments. You're a God who loves to seed hope and mercy and grace into the stories of our lives. And so, God, as we declare these truths, I pray that our hearts would be lifted. I pray that we would gain a uh, renewed confidence to believe that you see us and that you hear us and that you hold us in each of these moments. God, we love you so much. And now as we look into your word, I pray, Lord Jesus, for an anointing from the Holy Spirit here into these moments. Anoint my mouth. Uh, Open our ears. Open our hearts. And God, move in these moments and speak to us as you lead us forward and show us how to walk in challenging days. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was a humbling moment for me because it was a moment that I realized that if our world ever went to war, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. About 11 years ago, I was sitting in my office where I was pastoring in BC and one of my friends came in. He was a friend and a youth leader and he gave me the great news that he'd become engaged and he was going to marry another friend. And then he dropped a bomb on my lap that I didn't see coming. He said, would you consider being a groomsman in my wedding? And I was like, wow, I had had no idea. I didn't see it coming. I said, well, we're going to have a great time and we need to start planning. That's when the first detail went off the rails. Because you never let a groom plan his own party. We were going to go to the Caribbean and jump out of planes and ride in boats and have all sorts of fun. And as I started to do the cost and think about a pastoral salary and a young family and all of the responsibilities I had, I don't know if it was me or someone else, but somebody threw out the suggestion, why don't we just go play paintball and go out for dinner? And a plan was made. A couple of months later, we jumped in some vehicles, we drove up the road, and we got to this paintball facility in West Kelowna, and it was going to be a great day. This place was uh, filled with brush, there was lots of uh, different obstacles in the course, and uh, we were going to have a great time together. I don't know why it happens, but it seems to be every time that I'm a part of a bachelor party when we go paintballing. Uh, the first round of paintball always looks like this. The groom gets dressed up in a tutu. He's given a base of PVC pipe and we send him off to fend for himself. And this is what took place that day. Tim took off into the back corner of this field that we were playing on and we attacked him. And true story, by the time we got to him, uh, we'd hit him so many times with paintballs, he was bruised and in tears in the corner. We decided we needed a different plan. And so this is what happened. We broke into two teams, and my team was going to walk to the other side of the field. And as we went to the other side of the field, we made the decision that we weren't just going to stage an all-out attack, every man for himself, we were going to strategically surround the enemy. We would move forward in a covert Navy SEAL-type team, and we would infiltrate the enemy. We would quickly dispose of their worthless existence. And Okay. That was a little bit dark. But that's actually what kind of happened. The horn sounded, and we took off. But being the older brother of the group... For some, some reason, something switched in my brain and this is where I started to realize that I was going to be in trouble. When the group went right, I broke left and I, th- I thought if I could break up the left side of the field, I could get behind the enemy and like Jack Ryan, I one at a time could pick off the enemies and single-handedly win the war. And so I went up this little path, it was really small. As I went up, I started to feel things snap against my body And I thought it was twigs and sticks that were snapping back on me as I pressed forward. But I I just kept going, thinking I needed to get behind enemy lines. And finally, as I came around a tree and there was a tiny little clearing, as I took a step forward in my mask, all of a sudden my left eye got covered by an orange blob. And then my right eye got covered by a blue blob. And in the moment, you're supposed to hold up your gun and say, I'm out or I'm hit or whatever the case might be. But I kept going forward, and I could feel myself getting hit in the chest. Finally, I put my gun up in the air, and as I did, the horn went. The other team had won the game, and as I peeled back my mask, I looked down, and instead of seeing, you know, spots where I thought sticks were getting hit, I looked down to see all sorts of paintball marks all over my body. There hadn't been a stick at all. I'd been getting shot the entire Time And instead of feeling like Jack Ryan, I realized that I was more like Barney Fife. (laughs) And I was no Navy SEAL at all. You know, I share that story, and it's a true story. But I share that story as a bit of an illustration because I think at times life feels like it can be like a bit of a battle. And for the more that we live into these days that we're living in, the further that we get into our culture and into uh, the future in front of us, it feels more and more like we're foreigners living in a f- in a familiar land. We're daily taking on fire, and while we've lived for generations in favorable conditions here in Canada, it sure feels like times are changing. And that more and more, there's opposition and adversity coming against us. It feels like we're losing ground as Christians, and we're going to have to figure out a different way of, of walking and living out our faith moving forward. Or at least we're going to need to discover maybe some old steps again, a different posture than we've been holding for the last number of years. We could look at this and be discouraged, or I believe we could look into the scriptures and say, Jesus has a better way for us. There's an opportunity. There is a model that's given to us, and Scripture gives us instruction, and that's what I'm hoping we're going to do today. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them to 2 John. 2 John comes after 1 John and just before 3 John, and then it's Jude and Revelation. So it's right towards the end of the Bible, but a really practical, a really important text, I believe, really relevant for the days that we're living in. I... I'm a part of a men's prayer group, and a couple of months ago, as we read this passage, it started to stir in me how important this would be for us to discuss, especially in light of the days that we live in. And as we wonder what the future is going to hold, I believe this is going to inform us in beautiful ways, and how we walk the Jesus way, and how we step forward. I'm going to read this for us, and then we're going to take a few minutes to pick this apart, but Uh, You can follow along. We'll read the whole thing. It's a short letter, and uh, we'll read the whole thing, starting in verse 1. Let's read this together. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also those who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8 Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked hard for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. Anyone, wel- anyone who welcomes them will share in their wicked work. I have, written, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister... Who is chosen by God, send their greetings. This is an important letter, and it's written from uh, a leader in the church, a person who is a dear friend of Jesus, someone whom Jesus loved, and he's writing into a situation of adversity and challenge, of, of, um, of brokenness. Leaders in the early church had deviated from the teaching and there'd been a twist or a, a contort of the message that was being brought forward. And in the midst of that, of that mess, of that, of that struggle, of the concern that the true message of God was being, was being twisted and was being misconstrued, a widow writes out to the Christian leader, to, to the, to the church leader, to an elder, And basically asks this question, how then shall we live? And I think very similarly, as we look at the days that we live in, as we are facing our own adverse, our own increased adversity, as we're facing challenge, as Christians are now being looked down upon more than ever, as there's increasing challenge in this world, as we're even on the cusp of what perhaps could be mild persecution, A question that seems to be a regular part of our conversations more and more that I'm hearing anyways in these days is how do we even step forward in this mess? And the answer to this question seems to be something that John addresses very quickly. Right away in this letter that he's writing back to these people, people he loves, people that he wants to step forward with, people that he wants to challenge so that the message of Jesus Christ isn't compromised. He addresses right away in verse five and he says these words, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but one, um, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience with his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. The consideration that I think we need to make, friends, is that as we're living in these days, it's not that we're trying to to blaze a new trail or that we're trying to find a new path. It's that we have to get back to making things right again. We have to walk the way that Jesus has always modeled for us and always shown to us. And I think in the midst of of adverse days of obstacles and challenges, part of the beauty of the refining process is that the pure message can come to the top. And the pure message is always found within within the, the pages of Scripture. The true message that Jesus wants for us is found right here. And it's here that John is taking us back to. As we journey down this road in culture, it sure feels more and more like we're living uh we're living in, in Roman times. There's need to speak into situations. There's need to stand up. There's need to protect and preserve uh, the message of Jesus Christ and the and the values and the standards of Jesus Christ. There's needs to speak into the welfare of others around us. But the problem that we've been seeing in the Christian community now for the past number of years is that is that we're defaulting to a posture of antagonism and uh, and and we're we're uh, embracing an adversarial posture rather than uh, a posture of respect and hospitality. And it doesn't mean that we're going to bow or we're going to conform to what the world is presenting to us. But rather we're going to uh, come into these situations, not with our fists up and our swords held high. But rather we're going to come in sitting down with another person over a cup of coffee or over a meal and have a conversation. We're, to, we're going to look to understand where the other side is coming from. And then we're going to speak with, a, with an, an authority and informed truth, uh, showing people the better way that Jesus has for us. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul gives us these words. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What John leads us forward here, it leads us forward in here, is a balance point between truth and love. And he talks about the importance of obeying the commandments of God, but doing so gently as we move forward in this world, convincing and, and showing people the better way. And so the key piece to the first step that we take in these days that we're living in is that we live not with compromise or indignation, but with a steadiness, a confidence in the word of God, and a resolution towards patience and peace in a world that seems to be coming at us. We look to sit down with people and engage with them, eat with them, drink with them, uh, show them the better way, rather than fight them and push them away. When we first came to Udak almost 10 years ago, uh, there was a gentleman here. He's long gone now, but he was here and he was a true Berean, a really awesome man. Probably in this church, if I can say this, and forgive me if this insults you, but probably he knew his Bible better than anybody else. Far and above, he was an amazing man. And I used to love to get together with him. He'd come and sit in my office and we would have incredible conversations about the Western Church, about scripture, about the inerrancy of scripture, about the importance of living as Christians in a light in this world that we live in. He taught here in the city and he shared with me that in his early days of teaching when he was a young man, he used to love to confront people with truth. He believed that if he could get in their face, he could convince them of a different way of living. And so he would go and he would, um, he would seek people out. And instead of sitting down with them, he would just go after them. He was antagonistic and adversarial. But he said the more that he went after people, the more lonely he found himself to be. And then one day as he was uh, reading the scriptures and having his own personal devotional time, God smacked him over the head with the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. And he said it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit showed to him that as we engage with the world, as we show the world, there needs to be this balance point of truth and love. He said it changed everything for him truth needed to be accompanied with love and respect and kindness towards people who disagreed with him. And he said, as he, as he started to practice this, he started to recognize how it powerfully changed the influence that he had on other people's lives. People went from avoiding him to respectfully engaging him. He said the touch points that he had for the kingdom of God came much more than when he was adversarial. And so, friends, how do we how do we walk in these days? How do we step forward in these days? Well, the first posture that we need to embrace is a posture of balance. We stand on the truth. We don't compromise. But we're very mindful of how we challenge others. And doing so might mean that we actually gain a seat at the table and have influence. Rather than upsetting the table and pushing people away. Well, I want to keep going here because I don't want to take up your whole day, especially on this beautiful day outside. But I do want to make a couple of more points. And I want to turn your attention to verse 7. Let's read this here. Many deceivers who do not, do not acknowledge Jesus Christ Christ's coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, this is important. Watch out, this is verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded Fully. We're living in days, friends, where our lives are constantly on display. Because of the technology and the tools that we have available, social media and the likes, our lives are constantly on display to others, and people are watching us all the time. And so the way that we live our life is critically important. And the the walk that we make, the the, the way that we live, holy, righteous living for Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ becomes important as we live into these days and as we walk forward it can be very frustrating at times but i also think it provides for us as christians good accountability there's a connectedness that's that's a good thing and helpful when it comes in our daily walks people are always watching and so living in a true sense of who we are as christians becomes so important and I'm going, to be com- I'm going to suggest that it becomes even more important that we do not compromise when it comes to how we walk in these challenging days. For whatever reason, over the, this past couple of years, as I've journeyed in the different circles that I get to journey in, in our community and in our culture and in ministry, I'm starting to rub shoulders more and more with people who love Jesus, but who used to come to church. Just this past week, I was out with somebody, and they said, you know what, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again, but Aaron, i got to tell you, sometimes the stuff that the church does, sometimes the things that it's a part of, I really struggle with. He said, I've seen more compromise at times in Christian people than I've seen in my colleagues. It broke my heart. And, And what breaks my heart about that is that while people are finding issue with the bride, it doesn't have to be this way. And I think at the heart of that issue is compromise. It's the violation of sin. It's the accessibility of greed. It's the pull of the flesh to take care of ourselves first and to walk in ways that would, that would produce question marks to people around us. And, and not lead people towards Jesus Christ. As John is, is, he's addressing this issue of people who are contorting and twisting uh, the 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 person and the 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 uh, relationship of Jesus to this world, he speaks very strong words. He says in the end of verse seven, "This person is a deceiver, and they are the antichrist." He says, "People who compromise lead other people away from Jesus, and this is a big deal." And so what he says in verse 8 is that we have to be on guard against this. We have to be mindful of the posture and the way that we walk in this world. Because even a little bit of compromise is going to come at a high price. Our actions matter. And the impact of compromise not only touches people in the present. But friends, I want to suggest that it can have an impact on eternity for someone else as well. And so we have to be mindful of how we live even in the secret moments of life because the repercussions are huge. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. We read this a couple of years ago. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If your heart belongs to something other or someone other than God, then you will seek to make an impression. But if your heart belongs to God, then you will seek to make an impact. An impression is something that we do that can cause somebody to turn at us and notice us for a moment, but an impact is very different. An impact causes someone to look and notice what's going on in our life and then be when they see what God has done in us, they will long for that same work of God in them themselves. It's a subtle, but it's an important difference. And as we live in a world where there's all sorts of compromise, There's a constant pull for people to embrace the things that other people are doing. And in these days that we're living in, it becomes so important that as we live in the victory, as we make the claims like we've just done in these songs, as we experience the work of Jesus in our lives every day, we seek to make an impact in the life that we live, a holy, righteous life that's been set apart and set for Jesus Christ that sacrifices personal comfort, and that chooses to live with Him. It's a critical standard And people may make fun of us for opting out. They may uh, raise an eyebrow for uh, us stepping aside. But as we choose to leave the Jesus way, I've experienced and I've seen and I've watched that people will respect you even more. They will trust you even more if you stay true to who you are. And that is a person who's been set free and who lives in the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what John is leading us towards here. Compromise comes at a cost. And the the penalty for leading people away from Christ, for being an antichrist in the compromise of our actions, friends, it could pay an eternal price for someone else. And so the impact of walking a holy life, a spirit-filled life, a life in response to the cross becomes important, and we must stand on guard against compromise, one of the things that I've loved in this past season is to see the heart of this church to uh, see other people, people in this room and people in our community walk more deeply with Jesus. And I think at the heart of that that desire is an integrity that we will have impact in this world. And so be mindful of the way that you walk. Be mindful of the things that you say. Have a ton of fun. That's something that's missing in the church, and that was a big part of the motivation of Hawaiian Shirt Sunday. We just want to be joyful together and allow people to see the light and the love and the laughter of Christ in us, but do so with integrity because it could mean eternity for someone else. Well, the last point I want to make here is, uh, is just going to be a couple more minutes, but uh, I want to say this. That we're living in very pressure-filled days. The more that we advance, the more that pressure seems to come onto the table. And pressure seems to force us to make not only hard, but can force us to make quick decisions that sometimes we don't always want to make. Pressure is a tool from the devil. And the more that we step forward in these days, the more it feels like there's pressure around us to make quick, hard decisions. And sometimes it causes us to end up in places that we never would have gone had we slowed down or had the ability to say no? I remember a couple of years ago, this isn't a political statement, I'm not giving you advice, but a, a couple of years ago, as parents, we felt the pressure of getting our kids a cell phone. Everybody was doing it. It was a tool that was needed for school. It was something they had to have. They had to communicate with their friends. And listen, right now, two of our three kids have cell phones. They're not, a, they're not a, the instrument of the devil, although the devil can use them. But I remember the pressure cooker of that moment. And we felt like we had to make a decision. We felt like we had to sacrifice. We didn't have the money to go out and buy our kids, all of our kids' cell phones. But it was pressure filled. And I remember thinking in that moment that there's got to be an opportunity to change gears. There's got to be an opportunity to slow things down, to, uh, to gain wise counsel from others, to look to the scriptures, to pray and ask God, what would you have us do? And whether it's cell phones or attending an event or even changing our beliefs, which can be pressure filled at times, it feels like we're constantly facing the pressure to keep up and to change. And yet I think what John shows us here is it doesn't have to be this way. The major issue that John is addressing comes in verse 7. False teachers are teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And the pressure was coming on the church to conform their beliefs and uh, about the presence and the nature of God's Son. And you can imagine the pressure of the moment because you live in a pressure-filled world too. There's pressure to keep up every day. There's pressure that times have changed. There's pressure that says, this is the way, walk in it. There's pressure that says, do it right now. It feels like we're constantly in an environment filled with used car salesmen. And as intense as this world has become, it's a spot where when we bow to the pressure of life, it can become a place where we often fold in the flesh and where we compromise. One of the lessons that we learned, whether it was cell phones or whether it was some of the pressures that come from the culture, is that there is always an opportunity to change gears and slow down. There's always an opportunity to bow the knee. There's always an opportunity to create margin, even when it feels like the decision has to be made immediately. There's always an opportunity to slow down and say no. Many of you know the story of our family from this past couple of weeks. Jaden was in a terrible bike accident a few weeks ago. My dad has been in the hospital. We saw him yesterday. Thank you for your prayers. I had a text message this morning from my sister that said, Dad had a stable night. Praise God. Friends, there was moments in the battle and there was moments in the struggle that felt like we had to make an immediate decision. And I'm telling you that even when life hung in the balance and it looked like we could lose our son and we could lose our de- my father. There was moments to slow down and pray. And what John says here is so important. He says, you gotta create margin. Sometimes you have to close the door. He says, if anyone comes to you and, and um, brings this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. He's saying, you can slow down and you can say no. And I know there's been lots of moments, especially through the COVID days, where it felt intense and it felt pressure-filled. But friends, there was all sorts of moments within that pressure too, where we had the opportunity and the ability to stand up and say, slow down and wait, or simply no. And that doesn't mean that people uh, that uh, the difficult times or pressure-filled context isn't a part of the pathway that Jesus is leading us forward on. But What it it does mean is that some of the most important ways that we can step forward in these days is to do so slowly and cautiously and with margins so we don't compromise this. And we don't walk away from God. Well, I don't want to end this on a really heavy negative note because that's some heavy stuff. I do want to let you know that despite the pressure and the struggle of these days, there's reason to have great optimism and great hope. And I want us to end on a lighter note, especially on Hawaiian Shirt Sunday. And so I want to end with this. In church history, the times in the times where the church... Uh, has faced the most pressure and the most opposition. It's also been the times when the church has become the most effective and it's best. Jesus never promised us that this pathway of life would be easy, but instead he said the pathway would be narrow. And then he said this, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm going to give this my spirit, the Holy spirit to you to guide you forward and to bless you in the journey, to give you power and a sound mind. And I believe that in light of the opposition and progress of our culture in these days, that there's an opportunity. There is a silver lining that's starting to take place. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. There's a silver lining and there's there's an opportunity that start taking place that people are realizing the disconnect of the culture and the opportunity to look at Jesus in a fresh way again. And I'm gonna share with you that even sometimes in the news, we're starting to see glimpses of the awakening of this world to their need for a savior. I believe that work's already been done or is already already beginning. And I believe that we can start to look at it and start to see the good news that Jesus is still on the throne, that he's moving, that perhaps he's even brought us into a moment such as this to build the church and to walk with confidence in a fresh way. Back in the 60s, there was a movement. Actually, let me go back. Back in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a movement called the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. It's our family. It's who we're a part of. And the conviction was that if we could go into the hardest parts of this world and we could tell people about Jesus, maybe, we didn't know for sure, but maybe we could expedite the return of Jesus Christ. And so men and women went to places like China. They went to places like Vietnam. Robert Jaffrey gave up an inheritance in Canada, and he went there with a conviction that if he could go to the hardest place and tell people about Jesus, that maybe eternity could be changed, and maybe it could come more quickly. And then in the 60s, the Iron Curtain fell on Vietnam. The church was growing and it was moving. Beautiful things were happening. And the Iron Curtain fell and people felt like it was a defeated moment. And they wondered if the church would collapse underneath that opposition. In 1975, when that Iron Curtain lifted, and our first missionaries went back, people like like Reg Reimer and others, what they discovered was not a defeated, discouraged church, friends, but instead they found that the underground church had caught fire. That God had moved way more than anyone could have ever imagined or believed. And what was supposed to be a defeated church was a gathering of believers of 175,000 people in a hard and a dark place. With continued struggle and continued desire to control that church, the Vietnamese church grew to 1.3 million people by 2002. 2002. Friends, I know these are hard days. We're living in it too. There's days we feel defeated. Days we want to give up. Days that we want to hide in the mountains and in the bushes of this province. But friends, I'm telling you that God created you for this moment. I'm telling you that God's shown us a better way through his scriptures. I'm telling you that Jesus created you for this moment. He's equipped you for this moment. He's empowered you for this moment. And we're going to pick up our plates. We're going to pick up our saucers. And we're going to sit down with this world. And over a meal or a cup of coffee, we're going to tell people the good news of Jesus. And we're going to show them the better way. God's got you exactly where he wants you. He's gifted you and he's equipped you to live into these days. And so I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm telling you, we have to stick together. We have to rise up. We have to have hope. Because if God can do what he did in China and Vietnam and today in Iran and other places, he's going to do it again and he's going to do it here. Stay in the room. Have confidence. Have hope. Look to Jesus in a fresh way. Live out these three steps of living in balance, of not compromising, and of creating margin and slowing things down so you and others can look to God. God is in the details, and he's already won, and he's got the victory. As we finish this service, we're going to sing a great old hymn, a hymn that's given me confidence this last week, and a hymn that I trust will do the same for you. So I'm going to invite you to stand We're going to join our worship team and I'm going to ask in a fresh way and with victory and passion and conviction in your heart, you lift your voices and engage with this moment like you haven't done for a long time because God is faithful and God is good and he's on the throne. Let's sing this song together.